Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Shotgun Start. Wanted to get a quick disclaimer out here. This is not a disclaimer about Brendan's audio. I did call in from the car. It wasn't as bad as before uh, when Brendan had his episode. Um, anyways, we recorded this earlier in the day. This was before all the Phil news came out. The Phil apology tour hit. I guess you could call it an apology. Um, it was a lot of things. We're going to get more into that on Friday, one of the beauties of three days a week. You know, sometimes we do miss stuff, but, you know, we will, uh, we'll hit that. We'll hit, uh, we'll hit Justin Thomas getting in the design game. You know, that, that's a really compelling wrinkle to talk about him and him and Jack getting in cahoots, getting in bed together. But, uh, you know, Phil obviously stole the show this afternoon with, uh, Tons uh, on his apology, KPMG dropping him. Really feels like we're heading towards a uh, Pete Rose situation here with uh, Phil Mickelson. So without further ado, here is the episode. Uh, We'll talk to you guys on Friday. It should be uh, a jam-packed episode with a lot to talk about Friday. But this was a great one, too, with a special guest, Brad Faxon. So enjoy. Now the shotgun start in golf is full of mathematics. Um, there's a lot of a lot of setup work that we have to do in order to make a tournament work. So I'm going to demonstrate to you just exactly how we do a shotgun start here. And here we go. All right, all right, all right. Gentlemen, start your Greetings and welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Shotgun Start. It is February 23rd. Andy, how are we doing? Brendan, I'm uh, I'm hanging in there. I'm calling in from the car. I don't know how this audio is going to be. Uh, I hope I don't have to issue an apology at the front end of this uh, because it's so bad. But I, I feel like I'm in a good little cell pocket. I pulled over here. Uh, unlike you in the valleys, battling caves, valleys, I've pulled over. I'm I'm sitting here. I unfortunately forgot headphones at home, so I apologize uh, in advance to any audio shortcomings. Um, it's a are it's we a dangerous situation. Are we surprised for the big news Monday of a certain man coming out of the woodwork to uh, have an ye. opinion on what what was Here going ye. on? You know, it can't be, you know, it's maybe a unanimous town opinion, but it's not official proclamation unless the town crier puts his stamp on it and announces it worldwide or to the town. And, and there was Billy Boy after everybody's jumped in. I mean, Billy Boy can't let an issue of the day go uncommented upon and cannot, you know, the media just cannot stop putting microphone in his face about anything. Uh, Billy Boy go, takes a run at Phil. I'm glad he added his comments to the to the pile. I don't know. I don't have it in front of me. It was more of the same. Phil was selfish. It was awful. He's ignorant. It didn't know what he was talking about. But what t- took a step further, I would say, and started talking about punitive measures, right? Saying he should, I don't think he should be allowed to captain the Ryder Cup in 2025. I mean, this is a guy that's never been in the Ryder Cup. I know he's won a FedEx Cup. He's never played the Ryder Cup. He's been mad at Steve Stricker for not calling him or stuff. And that's the extent of his Ryder Cup experience. And he's here telling, and I'm not here to defend Phil. I just think it's interesting and it gets to the sort of the heart of the town crier mindset. That he's telling that Phil shouldn't be the Ryder Cup captain, or maybe shouldn't be the Ryder Cup captain. I don't think he definitively said that. I think that was taking it a step further than some of the guys who just called him egotistical and whatnot, right? Listen, he he probably felt like a lot of people were coming for his crown as the town crier, and he felt like he had to take <laughs> yeah, things a little out. bit further and <laughs> differentiate himself from what everybody else was saying. I mean, this is what makes Billy great. And uh, I, I think he's also probably feeling pretty good about himself. Goes from a week when nobody cares he's in the field to uh, illuminating oh, yeah. the, the tourist problem where he is a superstar. In the field this week at the Honda Classic. I mean, he is a a big-time player here. One week after being just kind of a 
you know, a blip on the radar at Riviera. Sure. It, I, I mean, like Saudi Arabia is gone, you know, for the Maybe. time being, it's kind of back being. into the being the background and, uh, you know, everybody pledged their allegiance to the tour. And here we come to the Honda classic, an event that, you know, not by their own doing, but illuminates the issue with the PGA tour. There's just yeah. too many damn events. There should be a week off after last week with the events that are coming up so that, you know, you just don't have this watered down shit field um, at, a, at a longtime sponsor event. Like this is just a joke of a field. Oh, come on. I got, hey, I went zero to dinner top, last Every ten, top 10 player last week, zero top 10 players this week. I went to dinner last night with a, a fellow swamp creature giving me some intel. I went to the woods, Jupiter, which I'll have to give my official review later. But uh, one thing, so you think this week's bad. I just, it didn't dawn on me until next week. There is an opposite field event, the Bay of Bay Hill. Oh, so, so like that and Wait, Bay Hill what? isn't Bay Hill isn't a WGC, right? It's not like the 65 guys. It's going to be a full 120 invitational. It's not huge. It's not the biggest, but it's it's a full field. And it's not like they get everybody like a WGC would. So what who is going to Puerto Rico? We'll get to that next week, but on the horizon we could have some real sort of uh, alternate list of Puerto Rico could be interesting come next week. But in the instant, you're right. Could be the alternate list of all alternate lists. Could be like Bermuda. They can't fill it, right? I mean, I don't know if they have vaccine requirements too, but I, I it could be like Bermuda where they couldn't have a full field. Um but you you alluded to Billy Boy he is uh, featured groups aren't officially out, but he's got to be one of them. He's playing with Patrick Reed and Cameron Young. Uh, you know, behind them is last week's winner, Neiman, Kepka, Mackenzie Hughes. Let's just get into that. It's our schedule for the week is the Honda Classic. Uh, that is at PGA National, the champion course. Big, big week for bear content. That's where the bear trap again. It makes no sense that it's a statue of a bear when the bear trap is the one that's catching. You know, it should be a, a human trap, you know, because the, the bear is catching the humans in, in the tough golf holes. Like, it just doesn't make sense that there's a statue of the bear. But the purse is $8 million, 1.44 million to the winner. Again, $8 million here. This is uh, living cheaply compared to 12 last week, 12 next week, and 20 the week after that. The course is par 70, 7,100 yards designed by Jack Nicholas, who I think just redesigned it. Wasn't it Fazio originally, I believe, yeah. like that? Um, I think it was defending George. champ is Matt. George Faz. George, okay. George, George had some decent uh, work. Defending champ. Yeah. I, I, yeah, okay. No, I don't know, to be honest with you, if you're asking me. Defending champ is Matt Jones. Just totally forgot about that. Could have given me five guesses. I don't know that I would have come up with it. Again, one of the worst events of last he year. He played or most forgettable. I won't call it worst. He said he was. He knew he was going to win before the week started. You're just yeah. always just shitting on Notables. Matt Jones. I don't think I'm shitting on him. I'm just telling you, last year's Honda was underwhelming. Notables: Louis Oosthuizen, Brooks Kepka, who is playing. Not because I mean it's close by, but let's be honest. He's playing. Because they give Chase an exemption. That's the two-for-one deal. That's why Brooksy shows up. Let's not call it anything else. Uh, Brooks Kepka's here. Sanjay, winner two years ago. Billy Boy, ringing his bell up and down the uh, Palm Beach coast. Uh, Lee Westwood. So you got the boys in brown. Ian Poulter. Henrik Stenson. So you have Westy, Poulter, Stenson. Like the Saudi thing is kind of like won't be as hot as last week, I would imagine. I hope. But I mean, I think Shane those Lowry guys should be asked too. about it. Shane Lowry. Is he in the field? Yeah, he should be asked okay. about it. I think you got to ask. Ian, What? where are you, buddy? What's going on? Someone sent us a message that he's selling one of his Ferraris, a $500,000 Ferrari or something like that. Um, Maybe hey, he had I, to return the it, money. I heard a little, uh, it's not jupe scoop, but uh, it was a, it was an anecdote I heard while in Jupiter last night that that uh, while we're on the subject of Poulter's cars, at one of the events, he got a Mercedes McLaren as like the uh, courtesy car. And he got four, he had to give it back the next day because he got four speeding tickets in one day with the with the courtesy car. Had to turn it's it quite in the, the next day. Quite the continuing it. <laughs> right. One day, 
One day, uh, a courtesy car. Chase Kepka, a notable. K.H. Lee, the Husky boy. Kiradek is playing. Dirt, Dirt McGirt. Russell Knox. Martin Keimer. So that the Russell Keimer combo. And, and Nikolai Hogard is making the trip over. Like, he's a big time player, uh, Hogard. You know, that's somebody maybe people would want to watch. So, uh, this is whatever. Usual. Two to six, two to six on Thursday, Friday. And then finishing up, uh, NBC is now joining the fray. CBS taking a break off for March Madness, I think, returns to us at the Masters. And uh, NBC is now on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, no Johnny, but uh, Azinger coming in with uh, some pressure. You know, that pressure. water. That bear Tell trap pressure. <laughs> we get pressure. We get the bear trap and, and Azinger. That's a pressure sandwich right there. Um <laughs> I will say this: There's something to watch. Is uh, is Scottsdale Scottsdale light? Uh, see what what comes of the of the the bear trap with their you know their fake you know doing what Florida does best you know chain restaurants which are just you know effect, effectively oh, copies of other things and you know soulless you know it, it's just you know it's a place with where original ideas go to so- go to die. Um, oh come on! I got. But, I, I'm I'm becoming a swamp creature, a swamp convert down here. I can like I may be apologist for this, but I talking to this person last night, like um, who's who's deep into the Honda scene. He said it's like it's like 16 at Scottsdale with all the worst parts because I guess yes. Scottsdale only sells beer, but at Honda they're essentially opening force opening people's mouths and pouring rum down their throats and he said it's just like it's like a rum drunk and the people get really nasty so there's a bunch of fights and it's angry and it just gets really rowdy at that bear trap as everybody's guzzling start dark and stormy so and the hard liquor uh drunks get get a little nasty that's that's how, what i was led to believe i'm sad i'll be leaving prior to uh getting to witness that sociological experiment i'd love to go and, and people watch but uh that that's the intel from the ground it, it, it's like a i don't know if it's a diet scottsdale it may just be sort of a, a mini scottsdale that's more aggressive and angry um all right do you have anything else on the honda that you care to uh- touch on before we get into other things well, they moved to schedule dates, and and it didn't really do anything. So they had a great schedule date, like when Honda had to renew as title sponsor, and then they renewed for ten years, and then they like moved the players back, and it's been sort of like dicked over ever since. You know, uh, one thing I did notice on the field: Davis Love the Third is playing under a PGA Section Champion exemption. What? I don't understand how that works. Or a PGA life member exemption? He's listed under PGA section champion. The Davis Love the Third. Interesting uh, sort of. I mean, I'm not saying he shouldn't be in the field. It's a weak field and he's done things in his career. I don't know that he doesn't deserve to be in. But uh, I don't know if that's where he falls under. Anyways, uh, anything else? Uh, uh, do you have a one and done pick? You want to? You want to? Shout out anybody off the top of your head? Yeah, you know, I, I feel like he's making proclamations. I um, I love. I'm I'm going with Billy. He likes courses really? that are a little bit more punitive off the tee. He's a Florida Gator. I have nothing, you know, behind it. He's played well the last, you know, six months. I I was thinking about Westy, yep. but I just I haven't. We haven't seen, you know, he, he played a little bit in the desert. I don't, you know, this is another good place for him. But um, I, I like, uh, I, you know, typically this is just kind of a crapshoot. I, you know, it's just you never know what's going to happen because of the the weather. What's going to happen out there? The, all the water, you know, there's just car crashes everywhere at the golf course. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm taking yep. Billy Boy. I feel like he's gonna he's gonna keep the ball in play. He made proclamations. He's happy. He's feeling good about himself going into this week. Played well at Scottsdale too. I mean, he did well at Scottsdale. I mean, he was in, in kind of in contention, sneaky there Sunday. I'm gonna go with uh, Tommy Fleetwood. Uh, he's played well here in the past. Not not sort of just been an, a guy the last couple of years, right? Not that UK Ricky. kind of player in the world that he sort of. <laughs> UK Ricky. I'm going to go with Tommy Fleetwood as my one and done. All right, continuing hey, on. 
one one other little jupe scoop um i don't know if this is knowledge i haven't seen it floated anywhere but i have heard from a few people that there's going to be a new host site of this golf course this is you know the bear trap is not going to be forever and there's a new jack nicholas course called panther lake that is uh that's going to be hosting this so we're going to move from jack to jack you know, there's a lot of Jack Nicholas down there. There's Jack everywhere down here. But, yeah. if, you know, we're going to move from one Jack Nicholas design to another in a couple years. Uh, once this Panther National or Panther Lake, whatever the hell it's called, uh, is uh, is done. All right. Yeah. I, I think because PG- I was getting some intel on this last night, too. I PGA... I mean, it's up and out, right? They're out at Frisco. Like, it's just, yeah, it, it's, yeah. No, I don't think it's going to be at, at this place much longer. If, if, if even more than this year, I think. Um, all right, moving on for their schedule for the week. It is the famed, our favorite Champions Tour event of the year. Maybe the only one that should <laughs> exist. The Dump in a Box Classic. The anthropomorphic box will be dancing to and fro on your television screen. Hopefully, in real life, they have the mascot out there bouncing around the desert. The Colagard. Uh, the Colagard Classic. This is a Friday to Sunday event at Omni Tucson National Golf Resort. It is a par 73, 7,200-yard layout designed by Tom Lehman. How often is the Champions Tour layout longer in yardage than the uh, PGA Tour? I understand Honda has lots of... Uh, hazards and isn't easy but that's interesting to have it uh, be a little longer on the champions tours designed by tom layman out in tuxen the purse is 1.8 million 270k to the winner defending champ is kevin sutherland i remember that it was a nail biter last year i think he put ernie in a body bag i think I this can't is, remember exactly this is an event of the week <laughs> great i love it notables bernhard Lager. Ernie Els, Ian Woosnam is playing. Wow. After his WD, after eight holes last week. <laughs> I wouldn't put money on him to finish. He's not your one and done win. for, for no. Champions Tour. <laughs> when are we going to do the Champions Tour one and done league so that the uh, so that article, the weekly picks article has relevance? I lost you there. When are we going to do our one and done champions tour? You're out. Yeah. When are we going to start that up? Rural California. Uh, we got to get it going. We'll talk about it for the next five years and eventually we'll start it up. Uh, Somebody needs to start it up for us. It needs to be co-sanctioned and then eventually we'll come and take over it. Uh, Woozy's in the field. Sandy Lyle, you know, when they were playing as boyhood rivals out on the border of Wales and England, I wonder if they ever thought we'll be playing the Dump in a Box Classic in uh, Arizona some 40 we, years where from we, now. If we, the, if we play well, we get to put a, a, a cola guard box on our head instead of the Conquistador. <laughs> yeah. Had a great tweet at us today about is Colagard going to activate for two two twenty two? The date being, well, what are they getting out of that? That was a good tweet. <laughs> um, I, I got to give good. credit to that. Whoever De- tweeted Deuce that, Day. that, Taylor Mana. It's two two twenty two. What kind of brand Deuce activation Day. is Colagard Classic going to get off? For two two twenty two, Taylor Man, a great tweet. That's right up our alley. Um, That's why it's the event of the week this year. It's, the, <laughs> it's, it's just right in the and and you know deuce deuce uh, deuce yeah. here deuce deuce and you know lots yep, of toys. Sure. Yeah, again, not anti colagard, not pro colon cancer. Just having a little fun with the uh, the uh, the collection of the the, the actual product in use. Um, uh, notables also include Mario Tizani, Brian Gay, who I think that's incorrect. I believe he's in the Honda. Scott McCarran, Anchor and Away, and Scott Dunlap. Uh, this is whatever. It's on Golf Channel. It ends at 6 o'clock on Sunday. It's a 54-hole event. We'll keep an eye on the spread. Other news, other, other events are the Sunshine Tour. We have the Johnson Workwear open. I know everybody's interested in that. That's, we got the, that's one of my subsidiaries. James Hart Dupree's is in the field. And John Thompson. So there's some big boys in that field. Two, the, the 6'10 and 6'9. Uh, Tom <laughs> they McKibben be and Jaco- the same, same group. And Jaco Van Ziel, who apparently turns 43 on Wednesday. Just, that's never been the same since he decided to 
Lean into the Olympics. Really, I did um, his career focusing on the Olympics, passing up major championship opportunities. Toby Tree, Pep Angles, Alfie Plant, also in the Sunshine Tour this week. On the Asian Tour, we have the Royal Cup Grand Prix Golf Club in Thailand. Uh, Tom Kim, Jazzy J, John Catlin, The Battleship, Teresa, Zach Boshu, former uh, Oklahoma State, and Barry Henson, also in the field. So the Asian Tour is uh, off and running again after the Saudi International. That's your schedule for the week. Uh, you have anything else you want to add? To your show, no. I think we got everything done. One and done picks. News. I got nothing else to add. There's not really news. Hey, I was a little underwhelmed with the woods. Jupiter. You want to talk about this or for the now or Friday? I feel like we could really we go talk in about on Friday. On. I've got Let's a full review. I got, you know what? Yeah, I want you confused. to get. I want you out could, of the out of the swamp before you before start I, casting that's, stones that's about a good the woods. Point. I don't know if I'm going to cast stones. I just I got off the elevator. I couldn't find it. It just. I was overwhelmed by the scent of buffalo sauce. Just smelled like <laughs> buffalo wings. I followed that and I found it. I was lost and I followed. And then we'll get into we'll get into the review on Friday. My, my official review. Um, all right, let's do it. Let's do it. Ad read for our friends at Beach Ready. Hey, I'm down here. I, I've interviewed Brad Faxon. That's coming up next. You're activating um, all week. I, I am activating a bit all week. Uh, we're at the Dratty Bungalow. We're meeting Zach Blair, Brad Faxon, some of their players, Grayson Sig, Taylor Moore, getting, a, I don't know, to look at the, the, the new lines of spring, summer, fall. You see um, any cool stuff? Yeah, I got a new polo. It's called the Graham Polo. I think it's named after your buddy, Graham. Although there could be after any Graham, supposedly, out there. But it's got, you know what I like? I'm a big four-button placket guy. I think like it gives you options. Like if you want to be like Harry Higgs and go way down, or you want to be, you know, David Duvall and go all the way up. There's or somewhere there's more. There's more wider spectrum with four with four they, buttons. They get you and get thirty three percent more than three placard. <laughs> the four button placket. I'm a four button placket guy. Uh, it's a new Grand Polo. I'm told it's slub cotton. I don't know what that means, but uh, it's better. Uh, it's different. I don't know if it's better. Slub cotton is the is the material. Sounds like something uh, for a lazy man. And it's got. <laughs> hey, stop being. And a it's slub. got a button down pocket, which I'm a fan of. I'm into the Grand Polo. Uh, it's a new item, I, I, and you can get twenty five percent off if you go to bdraddy.com and use the promo code SGS twenty five. Again. Dratty guys, they're, they're listeners of the show, friends of the program. They've been big supporters of the Friday and the shotgun start from our earliest days. Uh, it's kind of awesome to see what it's become down here. You know, a really cool, uh, house that they're kind of here all spring, fleeing fake winter. So they're down here all winter and spring. Uh, it, it's cool to see what they've become and how it's grown. So. Support the brand. They've supported us from the earliest days. You can go to bdratty.com and use the promo code SGS25 for anything. It doesn't have to be the Grand Polo. All right, we're going to get to an interview with Brad Fax and I did down here. Um, Fax was, was really insightful. You know, I, I asked him a little bit, you know, about the 80s, 90s out on tour, some of the best players he's seen. Then we got into, had some really strong words about arm locking towards the end and green reading books. It didn't hold back on that. Talked about, a little bit about Augusta and, you know, how you have to adjust there with no greens reading books. Uh, appreciate his time. Uh, he's also a dratty ambassador, dratty guy. So it was a good interview. Appreciate him coming on. Figured it was a good time. He's a local. Good time to get this out there as we, we run into the Honda Classic. So here's uh, Brad Faxon from the uh, Dratty Bungalow. Thanks again for his time. This is it. No outro. Right. Is that no what you outro? want to say? I was going to say, as always, I'm glad no that you've, uh, you've said it's a good interview for your own interview that nobody else has heard. So, I'm saying he was good. I'm saying he was good. I'm not saying I was good. I didn't do anything. I'm not pumping myself up. I still didn't know. If Cam Smith, I thought we were pretty honest about that one. I said, like, eh, you know, eh. I try to tell you if I was a consumer, I think I'd listen to it. I'm not nothing to do with the questioner. Trying to pop me here. All right. All we'll right. see you Friday. Everyone enjoy the interview. We'll talk to you Friday. Official Woods Jupiter review coming Friday. We now welcome in Brad Faxon. He's an eight-time winner. On the PGA Tour? It depends on who you ask, but yes, most people would say eight. <laughs> He's a, uh, 
we're in the uh, Bidratty bungalow here in uh, Jupiter. You're a South Florida resident staple uh, I don't know, personality. I, I don't know, on scene down here. So thank you for taking the time. I know it's a busy week with the Honda Classic in town. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Brendan. Always good to be with you. And yes, I live close by and Palm Beach Gardens was the next town south of, of Jupiter. And um, I've been by this bungalow quite a bit, but never been here. They, they've done a nice job uh, outfitting this Airstream and in this little backyard. Uh, I don't know, for a lot of different reasons you'd come here, couldn't you? Yeah, it's it's fantastic. It's good to be down here. Um, what I want to start with, I guess, is is our audience. We, we did a, a series of these these spotlights on great players from the. I, I think like the earliest at front leading edge was was Ben Crenshaw, and and like sort of later VJ Singh, Ernie Els, the players, and obviously Phil Mickelson who won the major last year. Um, you obviously played during that era. Uh, uh, saw these guys up close and personal. I, I just love to hear some stories of what the tour was like during the 90s, sort of pre-Tiger era, then obviously the nascent days of the Tiger era. What was it like being out on tour during that stretch? So I'm 60 years old now. I, I graduated from Furman University in 1983, got my card uh, that fall, and my rookie year was 84. So right then was um, the dominance of, you know, Tom Watson had kind of usurped Nicholas um, as the heir apparent. There was the foreigner players were starting to become more dominant when you talk about Langer, Seve, Woosnam, Lyle. Um, and Andy North was a guy that was two-time U.S. Open champion, won uh, in 1985 at Oakland Hills. And I remember playing some practice rounds because I always tried to play with better players, guys that had more experience, played with Greg Norman a lot, um, and ask questions and listen to stories because I love the old stories. But North was always one of these – that told about the he talked about the players of his generation he's you know 10 years older than i am and and i never wanted to be the guy that thought it was better back before me or that the players were better when i played than when the players were uh, of the next generation because those players that were dominant with nicholas and hogan and palmer they didn't have to beat as many great players they 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 certainly had great players that won a lot more, but I always think that the athletes are better today in every sport. And, and I remember kind of equating it to that. And I'm not, I'm not criticizing Andy North by this, but he was kind of the, the trees were beat back better when, when they were taller when, when I played. And, and I, I smile when I say that because I look at the, the players now and I'm like, there's so many good players. It's so hard to figure it out. And, and that's why Tiger's dominance to me today or in the last 20 years is so much more impressive than anything else. Uh, so it seems like you have I, – I, not necessarily – you're not hung up on the pride of my era was better or, or you, do you recognize or do you do – you, what is your opinion on this era? Is it harder to win in this era than it was maybe in the 90s or early 2000s? Is it deeper tour now? Yeah, well, the depth of field, the depth of talent, and I think it's in it's in every sport. It's un almost unequivocal that, that there's more players that want to do it, and you look at the dominance right now of the the young players like Morikawa or Hovland or Joaquin Neiman. They're 23 years old. Two years ago, two and a half years ago, they're in college. Now they're two, three, and what Neiman's top 20 in the world. Um, these guys are good, and, and they're they're going to be good for a long time. And I'm impressed by that. I'm not jealous about it. I'm not like, I know the money's changed dramatically, but no, I, I love playing with the older guys. I love playing with the younger guys. And, and, you know, I've been lucky enough to, to play with Arnold Palmer, my first year on the tour. And I'm lucky enough that I played with Tiger Woods, his first year on tour. What uh, we're talking about depth right now, I guess you won eight times with this, which I think, I mean, that's a, a massive achievement. I, I think, how do you balance winning with consistent play? That's like kind of the constant struggle and tension with somebody like a Tony Finau. We hear about it with Ricky Fowler. Uh, those like, where do you find that tension with, I, I'm, I'm playing in an incredibly deep era right now and I'm finishing top, however many top tens a year, but I won once or I didn't win at all. What was that balance like for you in your career? That sort of internal struggle with, uh, prioritizing winning versus consistency. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great topic, really. Um, I, I think that 
when you're looking at the best players over time, they were good not just for one or two years, but they were good for a long period of time. And and you asked me, you announced me saying I won eight times. I won a tournament in '86. Uh, that was opposite the U.S. Open at Shinnecock, which Ray Floyd won. And that was an official win and official money back in 86. Yep. And they took that title away a couple of years after. So it's Taylor Zarzar says on the show I do with him on Fridays, the starter, uh, w- that that's nine. All right. um, and if you count 86 as my first win, my last one was in 05. So that was a 19-year span. Yes. I'm proud of that. Yeah, I, I saw a list the other day of all-time – um, tournaments played over a career and Mark Brooks is number one and I think it's 801 tournaments I'm 13th on that list so that means only 12 players in the history of the tour played more tournaments than I, I, I think that's cool you know because yep. to be able to play good play well for a long period of time and have winning over that span is cool Ray Floyd won in four different decades nobody's ever done that or maybe nobody will ever do that again do you think that's changed and changing? We hear we, the peaks are earlier, the career spans are shorter. Do you think that's a general, true cliche? I, I hope things? not. Yeah. I hope not. I, and, and it's interesting. I've spent time with McElroy the last four years and helping him with putting, but also become a friend of his, you know, maybe a big brother in a way. I'm the same age as dad. So, but Rory said to me, he turned pro at 17 and a half when, whenever he started playing and he's been out on the tour. He's, you know, it, it seems like forever, for right. more right. than almost more than half his life. And he said, when he first turned pro, he never imagined himself playing past forty. And now he says, forty looks young to me. And certainly with Phil winning at fifty-one, uh, the PGA. I mean, I think that's going to give people the idea that hey, I can play longer and play well for a long time. But you know, there's a certain violence to this game now, isn't there? You watch players attack a golf ball, and, and you wonder. And we're seeing the first injuries from DeChambeau. Um, you watch the the Ben's and Neiman's body. How long can that last? I, we don't know. You know, mm-hmm. some people are, are just better at avoiding injury. Um, the training's changed. Does that make you last longer? Does it make does, does the you know there's that give and take? Right. If you're gonna, I'm gonna go after speed. I'm gonna go after being stronger. Does that take years off, or does it? give you a chance I, I think whatever you do you have to do very carefully and your understanding and, and working and, and talking to modern pros do you feel like the mindset has changed i want to I, I heard charles howell talk about this recently he was on that most starts list i think he hit 600 and he talked about you know maybe in his earlier days he spent too much time trying to just perfect his golf swing and, and lost sight that the goal is to win whereas now it's like these guys have all the stats and all these optimized uh you know launch angles and everything targeted towards winning right maybe it's not the ideal swing do you feel like that mindset has changed where a young player now is like i'm gonna win i want to try to win like five times in four years and, and these knee bends and, and like you just re- reiterated maybe mitigate my, my longevity but do you feel like there's been a mindset change try to win as much as i can as fast as i can and there will be deleterious effects down the line when i got through that q school in 1983 um Corey Pavin is, was in my class and in the first tournament, the one of the first tournaments of the next year was the Phoenix open at Phoenix country club. And, um, Corey Pavin was on the leaderboard after day one. And it was almost like that wasn't allowed back then. It's like, no, you got to pay some dues. You, you're not allowed to be great right away. And there were very few players that came out like, for example, Morikawa or Neiman or Hovland, um, came out as quickly Back then, there were a few exceptions, like there always was, Jack, Nicholas. But it, it was it was harder to believe that that could happen. And now I think through all the, the early uh, specialization of the sport, the AJGA events, college play, players have played in so many tournaments by the time they get to the tour. They're not as nervous as I, – I was a fish out of water. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, and, and I look now and it just – it makes me – proud of everything that how this game has changed and and the way you can look at improving too the ways you can look at improving are there are there skills from your era or players from your era that you don't think would be able to succeed on this modern tour you mentioned Corey Pavin obviously he's sort of the like he was so good at so many facets of the game he wasn't long off the tee that you know he's, he's stereotyped in that way are there certain players that you feel the game has changed so much that they might not be able to 
I don't know, not succeed, but but they, maybe their success would be mitigated on this. I, I don't know. I I think that you know when Ben Hogan was the ultimate perfectionist and wanted to own his own golf swing where he could hit any shot on call at any time. And we, we, uh, I shouldn't say we, the younger player gets criticized for, for being one dimensional yeah. nowadays. Only, only has this shot or this shape or only can swing at it hard. Ball doesn't curve. So they don't have the, the hands that Corey had. Well, Bubba Watson certainly has those hands. There, there are exceptions to guys like that. Um, but, Bruce Litsky would have been an example of a guy that could only play one way. You know, he couldn't hit a draw. Uh, I remember playing with him with the Bob Hope one time, and there was a dogleg left, and he took a three-wood out. He was trying to hook this thing, and it cut about five yards, and that's that was his draw. You know, so he, he, would, he wouldn't be able to hit all these shots required. But at the same time, Kenny Perry had a hell of a career on the PGA Tour, hitting a big high draw and never hitting a fade. Zach Johnson hit a, drew, a draw all the time. So I think now what the stat guys will show you, and a lot of players employ different statistical guys, that you don't have to aim for every single pin. You don't have to cut it into the right pin or hook it into the left pin. Uh, you can play your shape, and under pressure, your shape works pretty well. You just mentioned your longevity. And um, during that 19 years between victories, is there a shot or a player? You hear different guys talk more about uh, – I guess Brooks Kepka would be an instance nowadays. He, Steve Williams talks about like, oh, that that sounds different. That that shot's different. Um, and you're, you know, you span multiple kind of eras and ge- generations. Uh, is there a player or a shot you can recall where you're like, wow, I, that is something different that I haven't <laughs> seen before? I, obviously, Tiger would be a, a, a yeah. popular option there, but but certain you remember where you were and what it sounded like and what it felt like. Yes, th- I'm going to answer. Okay, this. With two different players, because go back to my age, player of my generation, Nick Price was the best iron player. Um, Crenshaw uh, said nobody since Hogan's made that sound coming off an iron, um, and and Price was the dominant player in the early nineties. He won his three major championships in a couple of years and went to number one in the world and had this fast tempo and it was the most likable guy. You know that that old adage that you, you know you, you couldn't be a winner if you didn't have killer instinct and i'm like well wait a minute nick price is the nicest guy in the world but he mm-hmm. still wanted to win and then earlier in in the early 2000s i think it was 2003 i was in the final group with phil and tiger at tory pines and it was a hell of a story because tiger had just come back from some knee surgery phil had commented about tiger's equipment not being right up to snuff with everybody else's and, and on the 11th tee my caddy, Tommy Lamb, was a golf nut. And we're up there, and I'm battling you know, for second place because Tiger had already jumped out to a six- or seven-shot lead over me and Phil and the other player in the, players in the field. And Tiger hit a four-iron to this 230-yard par three. It was into the wind, always off the ocean. Pin was on top left, and um, Tiger hit this four-iron. And as soon as he hit it, my caddy groaned. He went, oh, <laughs> like it was the greatest sound a ball has ever l- made uh, leaving a club face. And my caddy, Tommy, he groaned so loud that everybody noticed it. Like Tiger looked at him like and, – and the divot was a perfect dollar bill. The ball flew high. It drew about five feet. It landed about a foot and a half short of the hole and rolled six inches short of the hole. And nobody in the world because it hit the shot at that time. It was, the, it was the greatest iron shot and the greatest moment because we wanted to put a plaque down there with that divot and, and have some audio with right. my caddy groaning. Of course, I had to hit a toe hook five wood that didn't reach. <laughs> and <laughs> No, so, I mean, Nick Price, from the, the guys that I played with, he was the best hitter of the ball. But I don't think anybody did what Tiger did. Is there any shot you recall where, where they, somebody made the ball curve in a way or or in a way that maybe you couldn't now? Something that you recall like, uh, wow, that's an incredible play that, that maybe couldn't exist now. You hear so many of the older players talk about that and, and how that's changed. Yes. Especially he, with Neiman winning yesterday, right? I mean, he hits it as straight as anybody, maybe often by intention, but but – in the past, is there someone you'd see curve the ball? Well, that- we talked about Corey. Right. Um, Corey had the uncanny ability, and this was, was wooden clubs and, you know, Bellata yep. Yep. covered tideless balls. Weakest grip, long swing. I mean, we talk about long swing being something that players should ha- achieve. Phil's talked about that for longevity. Um, 
But t- Phil, I mean, Corey had a long swing, but he didn't have power. But he could curve the ball like nothing I've ever seen. And I, I played with him one time with Jim Dent at um, the TPC at River Highlands, which uh, was at the Sammy Davis back in the 80s. And Corey hit this draw out over the lake on 17. And the ball was – it felt like it was in the air for about two seconds. It, it was the fastest, perfect little quacky hooky thing yeah. right in the middle of the fairway. And, and we're all we're looking at each other like – I wouldn't have done that, uh, but Corey Corey had the balls to do that. He 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 could do that, um, whether it was a high fade or a low draw, and change it from shot to shot. It was uncanny. Makes me think of Justin Thomas at the Players last year, right when he's doing it on, on eighteen. Obviously, got precarious well, there. But let me let me maybe this is going into a different subject. No. But when, when when you're talking about this game, and, and I love the the mental part of talking about the game of golf, like. What's the correct shot? What's the right shot to play? If when Rory won the players a few years ago, he got up to that 18th hole with the driver and aimed it down the left side and hit a baby cut and it ended up right in the middle of the fairway. Who could have hit a better shot? And now you see Justin Thomas with his five wood, right? And starts it right of the fairway and hooks 25 yards. And this looks like it was going to go left the whole way. And then he kind of does the Chichi Rodriguez swordsman. Uh, move, which was a great move, but what's the right shot? They both were perfect, um, and, and it's you know I I have so much influence from Bob Rotella, uh, and I love this line. It's more important to be decisive than correct, and and both of them were decisive on the shot they were going to play, had a picture, and swung with trust and confidence. That's decisive than correct. That's something I'll probably take with me after today. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Rory. Obviously, you, you've come to be known as, as sort of a putting savant and, and, and a, 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 someone who can give counsel on putting. Let's put it that way. Um, do you ever get sick of talking about putting and people asking you about putting? Uh, it seems like do you feel like you've been pigeonholed in any way that by that. Uh, do you get sick of, of just specifically talking about putting? Well, no. I, when, when I'm trying to help the better sure. players, it's... Sure. It's my passion, really. I get asked from a lot of people in a bar, oh, yeah. can you give me a quick putting tip? And I'm like, oh, yeah, right here. It's just, um, I, I get, I get a lot of times you're lucky you were a good putter, meaning <laughs> I couldn't do anything else besides putt and that I didn't have to work hard to become a good putter, which really that kind of irritates me. Sure. Um, I don't really have a short fuse on many things, but that one bugs me a little can bit. Imagine. <laughs> um, no, but, um, I, I can't, take apart a putting stroke like some of the best putting instructors out here, whether it's Phil Kenyon or David Orr or Stephen Sweeney, they use more technology. They've been teaching it longer. Um, but I can talk about what can work and not work under the gun um, and what are important things I think to think about. Um, but I'm still learning and I'm enjoying every bit of it. What has changed about putting sort of instruction and technology since you're on tour like we just we talked about sort of the flight launch monitors and everything yeah. like that and and there's these numbers it says some sort of technology come into the putting stroke and, and that the modern player relies on that maybe you did not or is putting sort of the one area of the game that can remain a little more constant from era to era it's changing uh first of all there were no training aids in my generation we we had um, as justin leonard likes to say we had a ball in a hole <laughs> You know, right. we didn't have chalk lines. We didn't have strings. Uh, we didn't really have any device that we had. It was kind of a makeshift, made-up device to keep the putter kind of square and on a straighter line. Um, and I know this part of the game can drive people crazy because some people get weird on short putts. Some people get a little goofy on longer putts. Um, some people get them, you know, a little nervous on birdie putts versus par putts, all those things. And, and – even the statistical guys will tell you things like, hey, we know at the uh, Tour Championship you'll have more six- to eight-footers that week than any other tournament all year. And, and Brant Snedeker told me that w- one year when he won, was 13 or 14, and Snedeker said, I've been practicing my six- to eight-footers. And we were in uh, having dinner on the Wednesday night before the tournament. I go, why would you practice this? Now he kind of rolls his eyes like, I should know that if I'm doing TV or coaching, that that tournament – has greens that face back to front, flyer lies out of the narrow fairways or out of the rough, 
and a lot of guys are chipping back down a hill. So there's a lot of six to eight footers. And I go, oh, okay. So now I feel like I don't know anything about the game of golf. And then I'm thinking to myself, well, if that's all I practice with six to eight footers, I'd feel a lot more nervous every six to eight footer I had. Okay. And would you be able to do it if you knew that they were important? They're always important to me. And then he won. So. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> do you think players are better putters now than they were prior to having all that information at their disposal? Or is that hard to... So statistically, players are better. Right. You know, if, if we look at... In, granted, ShotLink started 2003, maybe. Um, we know players are making more putts. Um, that 50, 50 is 8 feet rather than 6 feet. But what is that? Is that players are better there's more good players and equipment better putters are better for sure golf ball better agronomy is definitely better um, bermuda grass is so much better than it used to be um, i i think that all all of the above uh checks the box and and there's some guys that just have that ability when there's you know everything's on the line that they feel as comfortable with the pressure on them putting. And that's the stuff that I love, love talking about, love watching. Can you stay in your same routine or do you slow down when you get nervous or you speed up when you get nervous? So who are some of, who are some of the, who's the best putter you ever saw? And then I guess <laughs> on the other end, who got the most out of maybe the least? We always hear about these players that are so good, maybe teething green and then it's shaky there. Is there anyone that jumps out to you that got so much out of his career? Maybe that I, I understand that it's hard to talk about other players, but but who was the best you saw, and then who got the most out yeah, of the list? I, I did a top ten list. Right, of my I think maybe you saw because I posted on Instagram the top ten putters, and I got in a lot of trouble for that because, as I know, whenever you make a list, you do it gets sure. political. I didn't include LPGA players, um, and I was thinking of just I, I'm not an expert on the LPGA. I, I would consider myself more of an expert on the PGA Tour, and and I did a, there's some emotion when you do a list players you've seen or or played with or maybe they had a particularly great round or poor round with them but I, I use longevity as something that I thought was important to be uh, great and and Tiger and Jack won the most major championships so they ha they had the ability like we just said to make the putts when they needed to make them the most and they did it for a really really long period of time now were they as consistently good putters as say a Ben Crenshaw was over the course of his career or Gary Player or Bobby Locke um, maybe not but I don't know putting for meaningful meaningful putts is important but if, if not to talk about my, my stats but my putting stats were best when I was in my mid 30s to 41 I mean I led the putting stats three years I was 35 to 40 so that thought that oh you're lucky you're born that way yeah. um is not true and and i i use that a lot of times for people that are they have been struggling i'm like look you can get better at this even as you get older and it should be the one part of the game that you don't need a lot of strength or athletic ability to be good at do you have uh, i guess like two lot of hot topics on putting right now are greens books um and, and arm lock putting do you have an opinion on those yourself i, I know the pga tour policy board outlawed Green reading books at the tour level, green reading books. Um, do you have an opinion on those? As oh, yeah, someone who I has an opinion on everything. Uh, I and, and look, I get I get in trouble when I say something like I don't like anchoring to be part of the game. And, and when that was a topic for us four or five years ago, I was on the PJ at uh, the Champions Tour Policy Board, and everybody said, "Well, of course you don't like it because you're you're a, a good putter. No wonder you don't want." It. And at the time, Langer and McCarron were, were the two best players on the senior tour and, and were dominating with that anchored style. Um, so I don't like that. I don't like arm lock. I think that's anchoring. Um, I, I think even like the players that use a long putter that put their arm against their side mm -hmm. and especially arm lock and what Bryson's done. I mean, how many players are doing it now? Wh whatever you call Kuchar style right. <laughs> is doing. I, I think the putter should be freely swung and held on to with your hands and not another part of your body. I, I think if you looked at this, the spirit of the game, what the, the, the founding fathers of our game didn't want to see that um, as part of the game. But at the same time, I don't want a guy that's played golf all his life. Who's developed the nips, the yips to have to ch quit the game. Cause he can't anchor. I mean, it's, 
so we got to figure that out too. Right. Uh, on the books, do you? I mean, do you agree with Rory? I mean, he was certainly yeah, he, on he, the policy board that, that helped institute that. He texted me Sunday night on his way home how he really feels like not having the green books is helping him become a better green reader. It gets him more into seeing the line. And I, I just, I, somebody who thinks green reading is a real skill that can, can be learned and should be learned and developed, I, I couldn't stand looking at players, looking in their books. And not trusting what they see on with their eyes. Do you feel like that affected players at the Masters? Obviously, Augusta National does not let the players use the books. If you're using that on tour week to week, do you think that that really was a, had to be a big change for certain players? Bryson is obviously always sort of thrown out there as a example of that, relying on the books, and then when he goes to the Masters, it's it's not available to him in the way that it yeah. is elsewhere. No, I for sure. And when when I was playing, I played in the masters from 92 until the early 2000s and there was a caddy named buck moore who caddied out on tour for olin brown and um for a few other players and buck was a native there at Augusta. And he would um sell a yardage book that he would take the day's pin placement and just draw an arrow like from the four points on the compass and show you what a putt was going to do if you're below from the sides and what it would break and it was an probably i don't even know if it was legal and all the players would pay him 100 bucks or something for the for the book for that day um and most of the players like augusta when you go there you you could tell them hey the pin's going to be back left on 13 and you're uh you know you're short putting straight up the hill and you you know that putt's going to break a certain way everybody knows that but i i think you've got to continue to continue to learn to be a better green reader and and i I can't stand green books. I'm so glad they went away. All right. Fantastic. All right, Brad, thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate the insight on the tour of the past and the present. Really appreciate it. Brad, thank you. That went too fast. All right.